Hello, I'm Dr. Jesse L. Grice, founder and uh, senior pastor of Truvine Baptist Church. It's my heart as we welcome you. I welcome you, and I praise God uh, that you will get something from it and bless your life. And in Jesus' name, we love you. I want to praise the Lord. Amen. As I know I'm being heard tonight. What a blessing. Good evening to everyone. We're so glad that you're here. We just give God praise. Those of you that are online, we thank God for you that are visiting with us with us tonight. We just praise the Lord for it, and we're going to move right on forward expeditiously, because God is truly good. He blessed us to come this way today, and what a blessing it is. It's not too cold. It's not too hot. It's a good day, and it's not even raining, so bless the Lord. Amen. Again, the same title for our lesson as we are in James, continue to be in the book of James. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And last time we shared much about uh, the tongue, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. We worked that pretty good, and we pray that it's been a blessing to you. And we've learned some things, and so whatever we've learned, let us put that into uh, application, put it into practice. I've often shared that we can have good doctrine, hear good doctrine, good teaching, but the point is you got to apply what is taught so that we are better Christians. We begin to grow and go forward in Jesus' name. Today we want to share in uh, James chapter 4. We're still there for a moment. And uh, beginning at verse 4, and we're going to have this lesson tonight. Adulterers. And adulteresses. He's not talking about people in, in the world. He's talking to Christians. Do you not know <clears throat> that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Enmity is a word that means bitterness. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself or herself an enemy of God. I don't know anyone who want to be or even think they are an enemy of God because you certainly can't win if you are the enemy of the Lord. So he says adulterers and adulteresses, and these two words, they speak of a believer who defects from their faith. We often think of those two words when it comes to marriage and uh, human marriage. And one goes out of the bonds of marriage, they become an adulterer, on adulteress. But James puts it in this perspective that these are believers who defect from their faith and goes after the enticement or pleasures of the world. That can mean a whole lot of things. It does not mean that you can't go shopping. It does not mean you don't go to the movie if that's what your choice is or go to games or things like that. It doesn't mean that. It means that with the world's culture is definitely against the church and God. When we get around those who don't love the Lord, we get around those who don't love the church of God, the word of God, then you know that you're on some ground that you ought not to be on. So this is what James is talking about. In the world, sin is considered acceptable and pleasurable. You can watch your, your news program, read uh, information about what's happening in our world. It, it's just so crazy. It's gone 
uh, berserk. I often say that we have lost, meaning the whole country, we have lost our moral compass to how to do right and wrong. I was just looking at TV yesterday or last night, and the young man that had killed a whole bunch of kids and some administrators in Florida, he just now pleads guilty. He's been there for about two years in jail. I mean, he has, he has no sign on him that he's, uh, he's uh, upset or he's sorry for what he's done. It's just a little bit to let you know that the world has gone completely crazy. We often also, even in here in San Antonio, there are uh, shootings and stabbings. We don't know all the information, but what we do here, it doesn't make any kind of sense. I mean, I guess it doesn't make sense to hurt anyone, but it just it makes no sense. And, and it's going even worse than that. Uh, another thing that irritates me, and I'm sure it irritates, it irritates those of you who have taken your COVID shot, uh, people are fighting against taking COVID. What happened to them when there was no COVID shot? What were they thinking then when over half a million people died? Now people are going crazy in this world, and they're you know, going to, they're, they're, they're protesting and and I'm saying to myself, what, what's wrong with these people? You know, you might not like to get stuck, you know, get stuck in your arm. I, I much rather get stuck in my arm than be stuck in the hospital. Amen. And so James just touches on this so that we might, as Christians, we must learn these things. We must begin to work them out in our own lives. How does a believer declare war against God? Well, by being friendly with God's enemies. And the enemy we're talking about, the world is God's enemy. We're going to speak some more of that. James names three enemies that we must not fraternize with if we want to be at peace with God. I'm going to say that again. James names three enemies that we must not fraternize with if we want to be at peace with God. Those three are the world, we just got to talking a little bit about that, the flesh, and the devil. The flesh is our old nature. There are some today, as I've shared many times, will tell you that, well, we don't have the old nature. We don't have that anymore. They are a lie. We are born with it, and when we get born again, the old nature is still there. And if you don't believe that, and you want to follow God, and then the enemy wants you to follow him, there is this tug of war inside of us. Oftentimes, you want to go and serve the Lord, but then it could be a spouse or it could be somebody else that's tugging you to go the other direction. Or, you know, like some of us like to do, I'm just going to throw myself and one of my buddies into the fire here. We're going to go play golf. Amen. Yeah, I heard that. Amen. <laughs> well, I need to go and serve the Lord first. You understand what I'm saying? All kinds of things coming your way when you want to worship God. You know, I mean, all of us have different things that come into our hearts and minds and what we might want to do instead of coming to Bible study or coming to worship uh, or, or something like that. So let's get into this. The world, uh, according to verse 4. By the world, James means, of course, Human society apart from God. The God of this world, that's the God with the liturgy, that's Satan. He's in charge of the world. 
And if we're hanging out with him, we're hanging out with the world, and we're hanging out with, with the devil, and we don't want to do that. The world system of things in this society of ours is anti-Christ and anti-God. Have any of you ever tried witnessing and sharing with people? And if you did, do you know what? You can tell me what happened. Oftentimes they want to push you away. Oftentimes I don't want to hear that I'm too busy. And on and on and go. Now that's a fight against God. And some of us did that too when we weren't saved. I didn't want to hear it personally. I would be nice and listen to the persons. I said, okay, we'll holler at you later. But oh, God had a plan for me. The witness was, did not go un, uh, untended. God used the witness, and later on, the Spirit of God moved and blessed me to hear him and come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. But the world will fight against that. Nobody wants to do this. Nobody wants to go and share Christ. And if we do, the world fights you tooth and nail. Furthermore, in the world, sins are considered acceptable and pleasurable. We can see that throughout all the things that go along in our culture. Ultimately, the world has lost its awareness of sin. Think about that for a moment. The world, this culture, has lost its awareness of sin. And thus sin has become habitual or habit-forming. That's why I believe that James is speaking to the church because sometimes we can get caught up in certain things and before you know it, we have left God. It's really, it's an easy thing to do. You don't want to, but it's an easy thing that will happen. We keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And after a while, you find yourself so far from God, you don't know what happened. But by the Spirit of God who indwells us, he keeps speaking to us and sharing with us, come on back. He puts people in your, in your way. He has people that you might not even like. And they tell you, you know, what are you doing out here? You need to be in church. Or whatever they might say. Then we get an attitude with them. That's okay. God is speaking to people to speak to those who have left the Lord unaffected. They have left. We don't want to do that. A Christian gets involved with the world gradually. And I'm sure many of you may know what I'm speaking about. It may just happen. But then after that happens, then the next time it happens. Let me take worship for an example. God's will is for the believer, the Christians. He, his will is for us to come together corporately and worship him. Now, if you don't like worshiping down here and you get to heaven, you're going to have a very difficult time. Because that's what we're going to do in heaven. But people will come, they will say, well, I, I don't have time to worship. And well, what's involved? Let's think about that for a moment. What's involved in our worship? Well, we know singing and, and that sort of thing. And it's interesting. I don't, well, I have a bird's eye seat since I'm sitting up there. And I'm looking out here and worshiping everybody sitting down. It's like we at the ball game. If I'm at the ball game with the Spurs, I know, and the Cowboys, I'll be standing to my feet. I'm hoarse from hollering and screaming, though they can't hear me on the field. Why? I'm excited about what's going on. When we come to worship, we ought to be excited about God. He gave us a new day. He blessed us, even if our knees or whatever's hurting, back hurting, we're able to come to church. 
You're able to drive, or if, if you drive, you, you've got transportation. And we come and we ought to give him glory and honor and praise. I don't understand why the believer don't want to come and worship God. Oh, the difficult part about this too, because the world gets involved in our lives and so is the enemy, Satan. I mention it quite often from the pulpit that prayer is difficult. Why is it difficult? It's difficult because you have to commit yourself to doing it. And when you commit yourself to praying, the enemy of God and God's people keeps speaking to your old nature. Well, you know, you've got other things to do. You've got to prepare the kids for, for school tomorrow. You've got to go to ATV. You've got to do this, that, and the other thing. You've got to take out the garbage, blah, 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 blah. When I come to prayer, I come to pray. Not only the things that I, I, I desire that the Lord bless me with, but I'm praying, me, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for the ministry as a whole. And I may not be praying enough, but I, I, I get this thing. I just want to pray and talk to God and, and see God do some things. And as a matter of fact, uh, me and my brother and a couple of us, we were at a dinner uh, in my honor. Amen. And us brothers, we were sitting there having a blast. We had a great old time. We were eating sumptuously and just talking about the Lord and everything. And unbeknownst to us, there was a couple sitting right over there, right next to us. And then we got ready to pay. And the bill is paid. Oh, that wasn't enough. So we had to talk to the people. I know they were trying to hide, Luke, but, but we were talking to them. And they were talking to us. And, and we had church all over again. But that's the goodness of God. I don't know if it came from prayer by me or anyone else, but God has this beautiful way of blessing his people. And he blessed us that night. He blessed us to see him move on folk we don't even know. I've never seen him before. If I did, I didn't know him anyway. But they were so encaptured, enraptured by our conversation. You know, we had to be talking some good stuff. Amen. And, and then they were engaging and they never said anything to afterwards. And it was a blessing. We were all just floored how good God is. Who wouldn't want to worship a God like that? Who wouldn't want to just give thanks? You know, giving thanks seems like it's just so elementary. But that's the best we can do in this English language. We said, thank you, Lord. And we thought we thank God and we bless his name because he's just so good to all of us. So listen, my friends, we have to put this into, our, into practice of getting away from what the world desires. And we do what thus say the Lord and we bless him. And as we bless him, he blesses us even more. So I'm very thankful to God for who he is and what he has done and what he's doing in Jesus name. So as we continue with this, as soon as I find my place again, and those of you that may have questions, whether you're online or whether you're in the, in the, in the sanctuary, please uh, share with us. Because when we have questions, it facilitates learning. 
And sometimes a question may come up not about the lesson that we're talking about, but about something else that God may have put into your mind some other time and you want to know something about it or get some clarity. And I tell you, God is just so awesome to do just that. Are you all with me so far? Amen. So let's talk about this other part, the devil. The world is in conflict with the Father. The flesh fights against the Holy Spirit, and the devil opposes the Son of God. Pride. Pride is a thing that we all need to look at and make sure that we curtail its use in our lives. I'm not talking about being proud of your family, uh, your grandkids or kids or things like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this thing that make you that you feel you're elevated above everybody else, that you got all the answers. Dear friends, you don't have all the questions. Well, pride, you know, you, you, you out, outside of yourself, you outside of what you ought to be and what you ought to be for the Lord. Pride is Satan's greatest sin. As a matter of fact, it got him thrown out of heaven. When you read the scriptures about uh, what God did, Satan was a handsome fellow, if you will, and uh, he had it all working out. He was working, he was looking good. But he said a number of I wills that showed him the door. I will be like the most high. Mm, you're trying to take God's place. So God uh, put, put him out. Pride is Satan's greatest sin, and it is one of his chief weapons in his warfare against the saint and the Savior. In church, in our church, there are some that are infected with sinful pride. Sinful pride causes all kinds of issues, negative issues in church. Because we're going to talk about humility in a moment, but you see, the opposite of that is to be humble before God. Because we all know, many of you know, that when we're humble before God, it is God who lifts us up. But pride come before the, uh, uh, Holy Spirit come before destruction and pride come before the fall. Anyone, any believer that's, in, that, that's in, enraptured with pride is not going to do well. One, they can do some damage in the body of Christ. They cause confusion. They cause people to leave the church. They cause other people who don't want to be around you like you didn't take a shower or something. Amen. And then they still stick out like a sore thumb, but they feel like, you know, they are there. They, 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 they're the one that you need to talk to. No. You see, God, God didn't put this body of Christ together, not, not just us, but the, 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 the church itself. He didn't put this thing together just so somebody can come in and claim that they got rights to everything. We are one of another. The Bible declares if one of us is hurt, all of us ought to hurt. If one of us is blessed, then all of us ought to be blessed. I remember in early ministry that uh, we won't go too far back, amen, but I think it's about at least 25 years ago. I have a, I have a nice car. As a matter of fact, it was old. But, now, you know, being a brother, you know, I had to put some wheels on it and make it look good, amen. Then I got all kinds of things that, you know, 
I'm taking the church money. As a matter of fact, and for your business, we ain't got no money. And we, we just get started here. We don't have two nickels to rub together. But, but that's pride and that's arrogance. And what it does, it destroys fellowship. It destroys friendship. Whatever we may have in this life, whatever possession we may have, praise God for it. And bless that person, Lord, that has it. And on and on. We don't, we don't have to be jealous of someone else's stuff. We ought to give God praise. We ought to thank the Lord. And so pride is not what we want to be engaged in. One of the problems in our churches today is that we have too many celebrities and not enough servants. Now let me unpack that for you. I'm not talking about the famous basketball players, football players, entertainers and all of that. I'm not talking about that, that kind of celebrity. I'm talking about people within the body of Christ who seem to have obtained some level and that it, we don't have no servants. You see, the ministry is, is, is composed of all of us serving. I am as pastor is no greater than anybody else just because I'm called to be the pastor. I am a servant of the most high God. I'm a servant of God. And I come to serve him. I remember while we were in the shopping center, a well-meaning person came in. I don't think they were a member of our church, but they came in and told my late wife that, you know, you shouldn't be cleaning the bathroom. Because my wife said things like, I can't mention to y'all. <laughs> Amen. I know you know about it. Amen. She said, why not? Well, you're the first lady. She said, so? She had a servant's heart. And we wanted the place to be nice when our guests and when our family, you know, our church family came in. And we wanted to worship together. We wanted to be together. You see, that's the family of God. But when pride gets in the way, it destroys that. We ought not to have that kind of thing in our lives. And if it is there, we ought to ask God to please help us and that we can extricate it from our lives. So that problem that we have is too many celebrities and not enough servants. My friends, we're all servants of the living God. Scripture says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. If we do, we're going to fall into that cesspool of pride. And that's not going to be good. It does, it's not good for God, not good for the members of the body of Christ. Christian workers are promoted so much that there is very little place left. But God's glory. You, you've seen it on TV and other places. Some of these folks, I mean, they, they're almost right next to God, the way they talk about them. You see, when we become that way, we can't win anybody to Jesus. Because the regular folk, they don't feel like they're worthy. As a matter of fact, ain't none of us worthy. If you just want to put it out there, we ain't worthy. But it's by God's grace that makes us worthy. But not worthy to be like that, to be obtuse and to be in the way, celebrity type. No, no, no. I see many ministers that way. I wouldn't want to be in that church unless go somewhere and, and worship the Lord under the old tree or someplace. Christian workers are promoted so much that there is very little place left for God's glory. If God is not getting the glory, he is not satisfied. 
Everything that we do, everything that we think of, even in worship, we plan worship. But it's not our plan. Our plan, we give it to God, that God may use it for his glory, his honor, and his praise. God has blessed us with a wonderful sanctuary, but it is God's house, not my house. I'm the caretaker, and I want it to be wonderful for anyone that wants to come in here and worship and praise God. But not only that, I wanted to emulate and, and be what God wants it to be. Because he gets the praise. He gets the honor. He gets the glory. And that's how we ought to be. And then we get to this other area that we call submission. There's a portion of scripture that some of our ladies really do not like. They look at me with a strange looking face when I say that. Wives, submit to your own husband. We ain't talking about that part tonight, but we are talking about submission. But submission really is a military term that you're placed under the authority of somebody else. In a marital situation, it's that way with the husband. But in, when we talk about it generally, submission to God, this word is a military term that means get into your proper rank. In other words, you got to be in your proper place. I remember um, almost like yesterday, but it's been a while, amen, uh, when I re- before I retired from the military, I'm thinking when, they, when, when I was a cop, uh, you get guard mount. Guard mount when everybody comes out, all the officers come out and everybody's standing at attention and all that sort of thing, and, and they call your role and et cetera, et cetera. I'm under rank. I'm, I'm in my, my position because I'm being accounted for by the one who's calling out the names. That's submission. I couldn't walk around just doing anything I wanted to. I, you know, any of us have been in the military. You, you don't wear the kind of clothes that you want to. Not when you're on duty. They're going to be consequences and repercussions. You, you don't show up at work whenever you want to. If you did, you could see somebody. Okay, what's your name? Okay, got you. It's, it's placed in submission to, to God. So this word is, is a military term that means get into your proper rank, get into your proper place. When we are submissive, all of us are, should be submissive to God, period. And then those other things uh, comes under that as well. When we have that attitude of submission, it's not a bad word at all. It's not something that throws you under the carpet or anything like that. No, no, it's not they wipe feet on you. No, that's not it at all. Submission, we get into our proper place. When we're in our proper place and we do the things that we ought to do, God is praised and his ministry gets going. Unconditional surrender to God is the only way to complete victory. I hear some denomination, all they talk about is victory. They haven't got a song to go along. Victory is mine, da 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 but they're not living a nickel worth for nothing. You see, believers in Christ must submit to him, to the Lord, to the pastor of the church. Not that I'm going to run roughshod over anybody. No, 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 that's not it at all. We're all servants of God, but we have our own place. When we got our own place and we, we work in our own space and then we move the ministry forward. Are y'all with me so far? So this unconditional surrender to God is the only way to complete victory. If there's any area of a believer's life kept back from God, listen to this. If there's any area of your life that's kept back from God, there will always be battles. 
you're always fighting. If your money, oh, I love to talk about money. I don't have any, but I love to talk about it. And when our money, when we talk about giving to God and we begin to hold back, the blessing's not there. But you know what the scripture says? It intimates it. I don't think it really says it, but it says you can't outgive God. Anybody ever tried that? The more you give, says that song, the more he gives to us. When we talk about tithing, when we talk about giving to the, to the church, to the ministry of the Lord, God has dictated that. And we do that. Why? So that the ministry can move forward and we can reach more people for Christ. And we can give him more glory and honor and praise. It's, it's not about what some, these, some folk make it out to be. I had this one, uh, I, I'm sure it may have been one, it may have been five people, I don't know. But I, I thought it was interesting that they told, that they were trying to tell me to my face, but they didn't have the nerve, so they told somebody else who told me, and I'm like, what are they talking about? That uh, I, I want to give my money to the pastor. Really? That's nonsense. God, when, when you come, and this for anybody who don't really know, you see, ignorance you can fix. If a person don't know, then they can, they can be helped. But when we give to the Lord, we give to the Lord. I, I know there's some clergy, they'll, they'll take advantage of that and pimp the church, blah, 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 take the Lord's money and do all kinds of crazy things. That's God's business. He's going to take care of it. Do you not think that God is big enough to take care of his own business? Oh, yeah. But you see, those of us who are obedient, who are submitted in submission to God's authority, God begins to do great things. And when we do that, God is pleased with his people. And we ought to be that way all the time. And unfortunately, many don't do that because they may have been taught wrong, uh, tradition all those kind of things. And so I, I hit that because I think it's important. Well, uh, the pastor talks too much about money. Really? Once every January? I don't think so. But I don't argue with that. I just press on. Because when the Lord put it on my heart to talk about it, I'll talk about it. Other than that, we're going to keep it moving. So if there's any area of a believer's life kept back from God, how about our service? I think I heard someone say that, oh, they got enough people as if we have enough servants or servants of the Lord. No. We need servants right now. In this body of Christ, we need more people to exercise their spiritual giftedness and come and serve the Lord. Some of you may be extremely busy in your life, that's great, no problem there. But if you can give the Lord a couple of hours a week or a couple of hours a month, a week, a month, whatever, that's better than saying other things. Now, I'm not talking to me, so that may not be too nice to you tonight. This explains why uncommitted Christians cannot live with themselves or with other people. It's always friction. The last one we're going to speak about in this area is never give place to the devil. In our lives, if we are not in God's word enough, we're not practicing the things we learn in the word of God, we end up sometimes giving place to the devil. 
Paul cautions us in Ephesians 4, 27 and 28 by this. He says, and this is really important. Verse 26 is really key. Be angry and do not sin. That sounds like something that you can't do. I'm talking about be angry and don't sin at the same time. Well, let me give you an example of this. Did you know Jesus was angry at some time? Did he sin? Y'all don't act like you're convinced. Thank y'all. He did not sin. When he walked into the temple that day, and he, I call it a cat of nine tail, amen, but it may have been something different, but it kind of shaped like that, the little uh, whip, and he whipped them people out. He said, don't make my, my father's house a house of merchandise. He put them out. He was upset. The zeal of the Lord had eaten him up. He, no, you're not going to treat the house of the Lord like this. He was angry. He didn't, get, he didn't sin. So I just want you to know that we can be angry. It's not sin to be angry, but, you know, don't sin. Do not let the... And then we talk about in our relationships, when I talk to couples about do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That's very difficult to do. Especially when you and your spouse is having it out. But you can do it. You can pray. And then it says nor give place to the devil. I mean, what does that mean? It, it means that if we go over uh, God's word and do what we want to do, what their old nature wants to do, we actually give place to the devil. Now he runs with it, and now we got more trouble than we had before. Sometimes it may cause a breakup in the marriage. Many times it causes a breakup in the church between believers. It's not saying you can't be angry, but it says don't sin. Satan needs a foothold in our lives if he's going to fight against God. And we give him that foothold in anger. The way to resist the devil is going back to the first part that I was talking to you about. Submission. Submit ourselves to God. And it's it's not like a one-time good deal. We need to submit ourselves to God on a continual basis because things happen. How about when you are driving? You minding your own business, traffic is crazy, you chilling, driving slow, being careful. Then somebody runs behind you, turn in front of you, give you the bird, and turn right after they blew the horn 43 times. I see y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of us get pretty, pretty angry. People today get so angry, they reach down and get their gun, and then they have a shootout. And people die. Over what? We give place to the devil with our anger, and it's going to cause some issues. I was accused one time by a person that said I was an angry person. Well, really? <laughs> when did that happen? But they, they said, oh, you, you're just angry. Well, I think they had some other issues. Oh, yeah, I get angry about at certain times. I, I get angry when, when things are not working right for the glory of God and in the house of the Lord, but I'm not going to come out as, as a vigilante and do crazy things. I don't want to give place to the devil. I don't want the devil to have nothing to do with it. I want him to stay mad at me. In verse 27, no, I give place to the devil. Satan needs that foothold in our lives. To cause this issue. He has that foothold in our old nature. You know, our old self. 
But we got to remember what Paul said, that when we come to crisis and we are saved, the old has gone and the new has come. Even though the old nature is still there, but we have the spirit of the Lord that lives in us, that helps us to keep the old nature down so that we don't get out of our, our way. In the end, the world has lost its awareness of sin, and therefore sin has become habitual, as we said before. John says it this way, John 2.15. He gives a clear warning to avoid this sin. And I love what he says here. You've heard it so many times, so we just put it here together to work it all out. Do not, John says, the Apostle John, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him or in her. It's a powerful verse. We really have to meditate on it. Do not love the world. Do not love the things of the world. It doesn't say you have to be a pauper and live in a cave. It doesn't say stuff like that. But we understand what it really means. So if anyone loves the world, and really put this in there, more than you love God, then you really don't love God. You see, my friends, when we love God, it's not about giving God any tangible thing like money or clothing. God doesn't need any of that. But what, we, what God really wants when we love God, he, he wants our obedience to him. He wants us to love him like he loves us. How does he love us? Well, he saved us. He gave us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. He guides us by the power of the Spirit. He blesses us with blessings that we can't even number. Sometimes, sometimes you get a blessing and you go like, oh, where did this come from? Just thank you for a minute. It came from God. What do you think? And you feel like, I didn't deserve it. Of course you didn't. But God says, I love you. And he's always looking out for us. How often have you went someplace and you didn't pray before you got in your vehicle and got there and then there was a couple of wrecks and you got there safe and sound? Did you give God some glory? It could have been me. So we love, the, we love God more than we love the world. I love to come and worship the Lord. Yes, yes, sometimes it feels like an inconvenience. Sometimes you just feel bad. Anybody feel like that? Sometimes you do some sun, you get like, oh man, I just can't hardly make it. They had a bad night, couldn't sleep. And you just drag yourself to the house of the Lord. And the moment you came in the door, something happened to you. You begin to praise the Lord. Am I right about it? I mean, it's just, you, you had a headache. Your neck was hurting. Your side was hurting. And you're almost out of gas, but you made it to the church. And when you got here, the praise man is, just, we were slipping foot in my word. Praise man is jamming, singing the songs of Zion. Oh, pray there. And it's your favorite song. Oh, when you're coming to the door, something happens to you. Woo, you don't even want to talk to people. You, you, you don't care what seat you sit in. I'm just, I, I ain't sitting down. Now, at the church, is a whole different story. But look at what God will do for us. He blesses us to come before his presence with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. 
when the people of God began to do that in worship, the, the atmosphere would change. Anybody who don't want to be here, they're going to say, oh, geez, I better, I, I better get with it. I'm going to get lost. We come in with our mouths looking like we're going to suck on a sour lemon. No, we come in God's house and begin to worship him and praise him for all that he's done and all that he's going to do for his people. Never get place to the devil. In the end, the world has lost, as I shared earlier, its awareness of sin, and therefore sin has become habitual. The warning also applies to the latter end of verse 4, which says, do you, do you not know, again, that friendship with the world is enmity or bitterness with God? We started out with that. Now, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So verse 5 says, or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy. Now, I want to submit to you that this is a difficult verse to explain, but I want to share it with you this way from the New Living Translation, the same verse, and it, it helps us to see what James is speaking about. What do you think the scripture means when they say that the spirit of God has placed within us is I'm sorry, but the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy. And I took that to mean as I was thinking about that and looking over some material. And I said, oh, let me read that again, because that makes more sense. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? When the whole, that the Holy Spirit lives in us. All right. If we are going opposite of what God wants us to go, the spirit ain't feeling that in our, in our terms. He's envious. As a matter of fact, God is envious. There's nobody but him, and he wants all the worship to him. Why? Because he deserves every bit. So the spirit of the Lord that lives in us wants us to serve the Lord, wants us to give all the glory to God. I believe verse 6 is the most important of both of these verses. But he gives, and now we're talking about what God does. Even though in verse 5, if we read it from the New Living Translation, uh, says that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy. N not of envy where uh, something is not given, or it could be not given, or that's something he doesn't want us to do. But then he says, God gives us what? Gives us grace. What's another word for grace? Favor. God gives us favor. That's a gift that's unmerited. We didn't earn it. But God graciously gives us favor on many points. And therefore, he says, God resists the proud. We talked about the proud earlier. But God resists the proud. And the word proud means opposes or resists. It's translated again as a military term, meaning to battle against. Clearly, it is God who battles against the plans of the proud and those who resist his will because they are not on the Lord's side. Even in the church, as many who may resist God's will to do things that are right, they are battling, or actually God is battling against them. 
And those that are proud, those that won't learn, those that won't turn and, and, and get it right, those who think they're all of this in two bags of chips, it is God who is the one that's most high, not us. And he gives grace to those who are humble. Clearly, it is God who battles against the plans of the proud and those who resist his will because they are not on his side. But to the humble, to the humble, he gives grace. He gives favor. For those who submit to divine wisdom will receive the necessary favor or grace to put into practice the kind of life James described in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. So, my friends, when we deal with this portion, it is God who looks for his people to be humble, be submitted to him, and live for him. And as we do, he gives us more grace. He gives us grace now that oftentimes we don't really appreciate. Sometimes it's just so much that we just don't think about it. Even when we didn't do things right for a particular period of time, he still gave us grace. He still loves us. I think about the time when I was not a born-again believer and all the crazy things I was involved in, etc., etc. And I began to think about that and how God just loved me. And you too. Amen. If you begin to think about how you were before Jesus, you'll get up and start dancing in the street. Because we know how we were. And I know how I was, and, and I think about that, and I, I just made, well, I didn't want to, I'm crying here, but it wasn't cry, tears of, of pain, it was tears of joy, because I was delivered. I got saved and didn't want to get saved. God said, oh, yes, you are. That's grace. That's favor. Think about a God like that. Even though we might not deserve it, Humanly speaking and spiritually speaking, God still shared with us grace. And that's, so, that's one of the things that's so beautiful about the Lord. So when other people are blessed, and though you, you in your mind, in our mind, they don't deserve none of that, hush your mouth. It is God who has given them grace. We get the attitude, we'd be asking the why question. I wonder why God blessed them. They probably ask the same thing. Why would why God bless you? It's grace. But his whole point is that he wants to give us that which we don't have, and that is mercy and grace. Secondly, you must resist any temptation that the devil throws your way. The enemy of God and God's people will always tempt us through our old nature to go back to some of those things that you did before you got saved. Oh, y'all, y'all, y'all too quiet over there. Come on. And, and you see, he'll do that because he wants, he wants to show up God. And he wants to hurt us. But again, God has favor on us. Then the enemy, Satan, will have no choice but to flee. When we, when we, when we resist him, Scripture says, resist Satan and he will flee. Now, he ain't going to be gone for no long time. But he will get out the way for a, bit, for a minute. We got to resist him. Well, how are you going to resist him? You resist him in the word of God. Oftentimes I heard a brother one time tell me, you got to pray God's word back to him. I'm going to, why? He already know the word. He wrote it. 
He says, think about it. When I began to think about his word and I'm talking to the Lord and I'm praying that God will touch whatever it might be and I'm praying that Satan will not have an advantage over me and I tell Satan what God says. The Lord says, I've got to stand against you. Now, some people make that into a whole different mantra. I'm not with all that. But I ask God for his protection and his blessing. Ephesians six eleven says, to put on the whole armor of God. What is the first piece of armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians? What piece is that? I, I, you got to talk loud. The helmet of salvation. We got to be saved. You got the breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth is around your waist. And the last he says, well, it's not last, but it's next to it, that your feet are shod, are prepared for the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, to be a witness. And then it says, pray without ceasing. Praying without ceasing don't mean you walk around praying and mumbling to yourself. And it could be, but that's not what it means. It's having an attitude to pray almost at an instant. Because your, your, your mind is on all kinds of things. Sometimes your mind while you're shopping at the grocery store, it may be about a, a, a friend, a loved one, and you began to pray for that person. Or, or another friend in, in the Lord, you, they come across your mind. You begin the Lord touch them. I don't know what they're going through, but bless them right now. You'd be thinking about your church, the things that may be happening not so good to you or anybody else. Lord, bless my church family. We got to pray. And that's a tough thing for us to do. But I got something for you one of these days. And we're going to be talking about some prayer. And we're going to be doing something. So get ready for it. We must pray. The other thing that we want to talk a little bit about before we close, and we might take on next week if the Lord said the same. Humility is about humility. We talked about it a little bit. But humility in the life of a believer cures worldliness. Let me give you an example of some worldliness stuff. It, it may not be exact, but it, it, I think it's close. We like Christian music, but some Christian music, you can't tell if it's Christian music or it's from the world. On the beat sound pretty good, but the words ain't got nothing going on. Are y'all not, not listening to me, are you? But that's just one example. Or we may be trying to follow the world with the, the types of clothing that they wear. Uh, you know, some of our young people, I, this, with these holy jeans. I know I'm old jeans, but listen, my mama would not let me go outside and play in clothes like that. But that, that style. Some people want to come to church with that. No, oh, you, you can't come to church looking like that. Now, I know what I said. As long as you're not naked, you can come to church, but I'm backing up a little bit. No, you can't come looking like that. We need to honor the Lord. Put some jeans on that ain't holy. And I don't mean H-O-L-Y, I mean W-H-O-L-Y. I mean that kind of holiness. So, so James says, again, here's, here's that word again, here's that phrase again. Therefore, submit to God. Dear friends, when we submit our own selves, you know you, amen. And when you submit yourself to God, is you and God got a thing going on. No, nobody else knows anything about it. It's just you and the Lord. You know where you are not submitting. 
If, if it's tithing, you know when you ain't, you ain't tithing. And no, you can't come and tip God. God don't work on tips. Tithe, give, give the Lord his. Don't worry about everybody else. When we talk about that, you know, some people get, get offended. Well, I'm not offended. I'm just letting you know what he says. My friends, we can't do what the world does. We can't give place to the devil. We, we can't live that way. We've got to give it all to the Lord because he is worthy of it all. And this humility cures worldliness. We've got to be careful about how we walk, even about the way we talk. Now, just briefly, I, I know this may sound weird. Did you know that we have, we meaning the church of the Lord, we have a, a language? Now think about a person who's just guest, who are guests of the church, and they come in and we're all hurling around that person, and we're speaking in Christianese. They're looking at you like, what is wrong with these people? They don't understand what we're talking about. We've got to be careful so that we can share with them so they understand what we're saying. I'm not talking about speaking in tongues and all of that. I'm talking about we talk among ourselves. God bless you, brother. What a wonderful day. We praise God for all that he's doing. They don't understand that because they don't experience that. So share with them what you need to share. God will give you what you need. And so when we do that, God will bless us. And I want to get to this, this verse here before we close. Verse 8. When we talked about the verse before that, verse 8 kind of brings it together. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. How do we draw near to God? So James lays out a couple uh, points. Cleanse your hands. It sounds Jewish. It sounds as if you're in a synagogue somewhere. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We don't really talk like that, do we? But to draw near to God demands cleansing. So if we come into God, even as we come to worship, we ought to come and be asking God to forgive us of our sins. Our brothers that shared the prayer to start the Bible study said the same thing. They asked God's forgiveness of any sin that we may have committed. Why? We want to be clean before the Lord and what we're getting ready to do. The more you do it, it doesn't mean that it's too much. It means you have not enough. To draw near to God demands cleansing. Then it says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Both wash and purify are verbs that refer to ceremonial cleansing. But we're not talking about ceremonial cleansing. We're talking about actual cleansing. The need for cleansing is clear from the way James addressed his readers, you sinners and double-minded. And then he talks about lament and mourn and weep in verse 9. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. As believers, we ought to recognize a tremendous need for cleansing. We cannot overstate that. Even when we come to worship, even when the, I think we do more of cleansing our outwardness when we talk about being cleansed from this COVID-19 and we talk about repentance with God. When we ask God's forgiveness, it's a repentance. We've got to turn from whatever that is to turn to God. Is that, 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 that understandable? 
we, we keep doing it because the enemy is looking for a way to get in and to cause us some, some trouble. And again, we talk about in verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Even when, even when, we, when someone is speaking against you, we stay humble before the Lord. And the key is humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Again, it is a prescription against pride. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, the Lord is the one who will lift me up or lift you up. When that time comes, whatever it might be. And so we give God praise. The way down, just lastly, the way up is down. The lowly one becomes the lifted one. And there is a mark advantage to humility. Eventually, it brings honor and glory to God. Any last questions? Anything that you might want to ask before we ask our brothers to come for the announcements? Amen? Praise God. Give God some praise. Thank you so much for your attendance and your support of the podcast. We do hope to see you again or hear you again or even talk to me again. And we love you. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you.